0: Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. This year, Watchmen on the Wall will celebrate 90 years of proclaiming the good news. Watchmen on the Wall is ready in this new year to debut brand new resources, books, and DVDs that will inform and encourage your faith. We have a full slate of conferences planned from California to Ohio. And as always, this year we will continue to bring clarity to the chaos and help you make sense of the nonsense that's all around us. And in this new year, please remember that we are here for you. If you have a prayer need, we're ready to pray with you. If you have questions about the end times, we are here through Scripture to give clarity. Reach out today. Call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144, or visit our website, swrc.com. Today, staff evangelist Josh Davis has an important moment of prophecy. But first, we'll rejoin our guest, Dr. Lonnie Shipman, as he continues to reveal all the Bible has to say about music and its importance in Scripture.
1: Does music have a moral character? What does creation have to do with music? Well, friends, you will find fascinating insights and launch out on an exciting journey. As you look at music and the Bible, you will learn how all creation praises God. Lonnie Shipman, author of Heaven's is back in the studio with me. We're going to continue our previous discussion. Lonnie, thank you so much for being on the show once
2: again. It's a great honor to be here.
1: We may have some pastors listening, and of course, you come from a pastor's family. And today, I think in many churches, you know, because we have different age groups and people with different backgrounds, we have worship wars. Some want the hymn, some want contemporary, and that, you know, as a pastor's son, you know that unity of the body is very, very important. What advice do you have? to pastors, maybe to music directors, maybe to uh, members of a praise team, to kind of lower the temperature, sometimes the animosity that often grows over the matter of worship. And I think worship's the time when we're together, we're worshiping God, we're loving one another, and yet the devil has got in there and kind of divides people, and some people hear some things and they, oh, I don't like that. Brother, I mean, this is a big question, <laughs> so I'm asking you, and I'm sure those
2: who are listening want to hear your answer. <laughs> well, Dr. Paige Patterson, who was formerly president of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, thought it was unusual that I would actually venture to talk about worship because many people are afraid to. <laughs> I personally believe in being consistent and being conservative or biblical with our worship all the time. I do not see any any reason we should mix the world with godly music. And that's the big distinction, I think, that we have. And now, I'm not against new music at all. I even write music. I arrange music. And so I'm not against any kind of new music, but I had to be careful that the music in style as well as the words are always honoring to God. Yeah. Now, this is why I have distinctions with much of the praise and worship music of today, because they specifically copy worldly music, especially the music of the Beatles. That's <laughs> where it came from. And the Beatles said, we are anti-government, yep. and so they, they were more communist than anything else. with anti-government. They said, we're also anti-music. We're going to destroy every section or every structure of music. And their own manager said, there's not a more anti-Christ group than the Beatles in the world. And they are the ones that the praise and worship teams follow the Beatles' structure and the Beatles' style of music. I thought, this is strange that the most anti-God of all the early groups is not the current rock and roll, I understand, they're, they're using older rock and roll, but specifically anti-Christ versions of older rock and roll is what they specifically copy in Praise and Worship. And so I do not feel connected in any way when I hear this music. It does not draw me emotionally in, and I feel it's too worldly to use in church.
1: I come from a Reformed Presbyterian background, and a group of us, the Covenanters, they sing only the Psalms. They don't want to sing Amazing Grace, even though it's a wonderful thing, and they don't want instruments. Tell us about soul psalmody. Is there anything wrong with the hymns? I didn't agree with that. I mean, some of the hymns are so wonderful. I think of Amazing Grace. And what about musical instruments, even Some of the the groups, I think I mentioned, it was the Church of Christ that I knew. They didn't have a piano. Somebody gave them a piano. They put a piano in the sanctuary. This was up in East Tennessee. When they came there Sunday morning, where's the piano? They looked down the hill. It was in the creek. So,
2: what's wrong with instruments?
1: What do uh, people have with instruments? Well,
2: you just asked really two questions. First, about psalmody. Now, I'm all for psalms. I'm not against psalms right. at all, of course. Mm-hmm. They sang psalms in the Old Testament throughout the New Testament. But then Paul mentions specifically there's three kinds of music to use in church: psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So I explain in the book what those are, and I'm all for using all three. Paul used all three. Jesus led a hymn. If Jesus can lead to him, why can't we have hymns today? I don't understand this. Now, we know John Calvin specifically said we're only going to use psalms. But John Calvin also followed the Catholic forms of liturgy. And so we don't have to do everything John Calvin said just because he did this. Did we have to turn Catholic or something? Anyway, it's, it's a little crazy. He also did not allow instruments in his church, which is odd because some of the people that followed him were wonderful instrumentalists who were not allowed to even use that. But then others who sang psalms also did allow instruments, as at that time, over Zingli and others. It was a mixture of opinion. However, I believe it's okay to use instruments. But as long as they're honoring to God, and I myself play the piano and a few other instruments too. I play about 10 instruments. I played often piano, organ, trumpet, violin, several in church. So I think it's honoring to God throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. In the future, we know the instruments are used. We do not know if they were used in the church age. There's a big debate about this. I do believe personally they were used because within a hundred years after the church was founded by Jesus, we have people using instruments we know of. Specifically, for instance, someone's name, Ephraim, using the harp. And so we know specifically he used a special, extra large professional harp Leading see- singing, Ephraim the Syrian, and so some of these people did use instruments very early. Right. However, they were expensive, so not everyone had the money to always right. go and buy a golden, a silver trumpet or something and use it at home or a harp. They may not have the money. And many people in the very early years were being persecuted. They're meeting in caves, meeting out in the woods. They couldn't necessarily carry their instruments with them, and they were on the run, literally for their life, just to right. serve the Lord. It was difficult. Yeah.
1: I've often wondered. About uh, music in the first century, you have a picture of you holding the um, Oxyrhynchus Papyrus, 1786, yes, the world's oldest hymn. And I believe you said they had notation.
2: Tell us about what music was like, say, in biblical times, in the times of the New Testament. When I was younger, of course, studied music. Uh, we talked about, and uh, I was taught that they did not know at first. They discovered. Greek music, we did not know how to play it or how to read it. But by the time I was at Oxford right. doing a special study with the oldest, the largest papyrus collection of Bible manuscripts in the world, the Oxford Oxyrhynchus collection, at the Sacral Library of Christ Church College of the Oxford University, while I was there. I said, "Oh no, we can read it now, and it's even been published." So I have—I didn't actually put the photograph of the—I took a photograph. Even the music—I right. don't have the music in there—but we can <laughs> sing the music, and you can look it up. Uh, that particular song is in the key of. G <laughs> and it's a mixolydian. And so it's interesting. We can actually sing through it in the Greek The Greek words. Yeah. They only have one verse of that song. It's missing another verse. I think maybe about salvation. We're not sure, right. but it, right. there's missing a verse. But it's wonderful to see that it's about God creating the world and about the Trinity. Wow.
1: Yeah, you say uh, several early church hymns have been discovered from the fourth century and onward. But the oldest Christian hymn ever found is, quote, the most ancient piece of church music, extant. And it's called the Oxyrhynchus Papyrus seventeen eighty six a church
2: hymn with musical notation. Was that Aeolian mode or de- No, it was de- Mixolydian. I, I mentioned it in the book exactly which modes it was a special kind of mixolydian is basically hopper. It was a wonderful thing, doctor Dirkel head of the Christ Church College, studied there, the papyrus collection. He was a close friend of my brother. And through him, I was able to go and do this study, and take my niece and nephew with me. We were there basically all summer studying these hymns. They had also other early copies of the Bible from the 200s, can you imagine, sometimes a page or two of the Bible of Papyrus. So it was wonderful to be able to read these things. And while I was there, I also read the scholars material Mm themselves of what they said about it. And then I had copies of this, so I put it in the book. Because it's good for us to know as much as we can about the beginnings of music so we can continue on conservative biblical music today. Right, right.
1: Are certain harmonies, certain melodies more godly than others i'm thinking of some of the reformation hymns somebody said well that used to be a drinking song in the tavern in downtown wherever i don't know if that was true or not but is there something about music itself apart from a text a sacred text or a non-sacred text something in c major something in a minor is one more sacred than the other is one more suitable to something than the other
2: There is no one certain note or chord that's ungodly or or more spiritual than another. In the same way, there's no one certain letter of the alphabet that's, oh, you've got to be careful of this letter, A, B, C, D, whatever letter. that's better than another. But you can put the letters of the alphabet together and make curse words or read together the most sublime words of God and the Holy Scriptures. You can do the same with music. There's no note or chord that's by itself evil, but they can be put together in the series to make them very worldly, or to be beautiful, honoring music to God. So it's not necessarily the notes, it's how they were used. And so we had to be careful. Now, I would not want to use something specifically worldly in the church. I would not take a song used in the nightclubs, used when they're drinking, and bring them into church. And they specifically did not do this, they've been accused of doing this. I do not know of one case they have a drinking song in church. However, they did have some songs that were popular songs, and the same we have songs that we've known folk songs throughout the years, for instance, The Bear Went Over the Mountain or something like this, these pop songs everybody knows, and they sang them everywhere. So some of these songs that were folk songs were sung in taverns, taverns where they would drink and eat. But the taverns were not always places that would just go get drunk like a bar today. Right. Sometimes the taverns were actually places where they would go and they'd stop and spend the night and they would eat a meal. It's not a nightclub atmosphere at all. It's actually where they take their family to take them to eat dinner, and even today in England. So it's not that kind of atmosphere. And so they did use some of the same songs, but they were basically popular folk songs, not drinking songs. You conclude the book. It's titled, Music from Outer
1: Space, Bringing in the Whole Universe in This Musical Praise of God. How does outer space sing? And for the scientists out there, is there
2: scientific proof? NASA themselves had recorded these sounds, and it was freely available on their their website. That's where I got the sounds for the DVD we produced. They produced them by satellites passing by, picking them up. Sometimes they can hear them louder when the plasma... Is escaping certain planets basically almost like fire shooting out of the planet they can hear that better sometimes the sounds are very low sounds sometimes very high sounds so sometimes they had to speed them up or slow them down some of the sounds they actually sped up as much as 40 or 57 octaves I think it is the lowest notes they ever had in the world or in the universe but they can hear these sounds sometimes lower than our hearing range And they've sped some of them up to our hearing range. Others are in our hearing range. Mm -hmm. All these sounds, though, they notice are singing in a major key, are singing in harmony, similar to our kind of traditional classical music would be today. I would have imagined it would have been random, almost like white noise or background noise, but it's not like that. The sounds produced by NASA in data sonification, it's beautiful, actually. It sounds a lot like music. It's really amazing. That's fascinating. You talk
1: about godly music, and you talk about Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16. Let me read Ephesians 5.19. Uh, we touched on this before, and, and maybe I should read 19, 20, and 21, because the whole context. Okay, Ephesians 5.19, speaking to yourselves in Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now there's music there, there's mutual
2: submission, there's thanksgiving, boy that is so rich but I think it also is based upon the earlier verse, verse 18. Read verse 18 too. Yes, and be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Wow. Yes, I believe that. But See, we're not to be filled with worldly things, such as wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And when you're filled with the Spirit and God's presence is on you, then you immediately respond with a song in your hearts, and you're thankful, and you're submitting yourselves to those in authority. You speak about evil music, and on page
1: 50, you refer the reader to Exodus 32, and you talk about Moses meeting with God, receiving the Ten Commandments, the people rebelled against God, worshiped the golden idol, committed immorality, and produced evil music. Was there something evil about the music itself, or was it the setting, or why is it evil? And and you're referring on page 50, I believe it is, where you developed that whole idea. And of course it was In a context of rebellion, in a context of, well, just anti-God, rebelling
2: against God, in what consists the evil of it? Well, I think that we have several examples in the Bible of evil music, and people, they're just honest, would admit there's such a thing as evil music. Of course, this is a golden calf. And it says that in this passage, the people were singing and dancing, and then they became naked and they rose up to play. And then we don't know how evil it became, but there was idolatry and many other things, obviously very evil. Then you have later, you have the orchestra playing with Nebuchadnezzar's statue. And they wanted them to bow down and worship and pray. And then the three Hebrew children would not do this on the I refurnished the results. This was obviously evil music. Later Salome was dancing before Herod and demanded the head of John the Baptist. I cannot imagine Salome dancing to some Christian song and getting the head of John the Baptist. It had to be something evil and worldly. It had to be very sensual for her to demand something like this. So she obviously was doing something sensual or worldly. What you say it composed of, that can be different opinions, but obviously there must be some sensual music, and there must be godly music. Anyone with common sense can see this. Genesis chapter 4, Adam knew Eve's wife, and she conceived,
1: and so on and so forth. And then it goes on and speaks about the music that was there way back then, Going back to Genesis 4, that's quite early. So I'm thinking, in the history of mankind, and God even made note of it in the Word so that we would understand it, this goes back to the very beginning of God's creation. And there is that thing in music. It could be good or it could be bad. And so many times it's used for evil. Jubal
2: was creating instruments. He created, the Bible says, flutes and harps He's also the the traditional inventor of the trumpet. And so we don't know for sure, but he was creating several instruments. All music history buffs believe, all experts believe people created instruments because they were already singing, as so they wanted to accompany themselves in singing, maybe playing, making a little flute out of a reed or something natural and discovering something. Jubal must have been extremely musical to not only sing, but to create several instruments to go along with his singing. And then his brother was also someone who did metalworking, it mentions in the passage. Maybe they were already making metal instruments, just as trumpets or something. We don't really know. But they came very early by the time of Adam's grandchildren. If they could sing, why couldn't Adam and Eve already sing? Since they could do everything else, why wouldn't they have sung? I'm sure they would sing in the Garden of Eden. And they're teaching their children as they taught them other things. Why wouldn't they have taught them about music? So they probably were at least singing from the time of Adam and Yvonne. Men have always sung. So probably they were singing, and then they were creating musical instruments by the time of Adam's grandchildren. Is there a place for
1: a Christian young person to develop his or her skill in classical music? What kind of advice would you give a young man or young woman who wants to play Beethoven and Mozart and wants to be a you know like you are you play praise music what would you tell a young person who who feels like well I'm not quite with the music scene a lot of those people are quote weird because they don't believe the bible they you know and yet they have a desire to glorify god with their musical abilities what would you tell them
2: That's a wonderful question actually. I think that God gave us these gifts and abilities to go as far as we can to serve the Lord at the very limits of our abilities. In other words, we should not just hold ourselves back. We should try to go to our full potential and give our very best to God in music, whatever it might be. So if it's piano or violin or singing or whatever instrument it might be or ability you have, Train as well as you can. Go as far as you can. Now, sometimes we have teachers who are not even believers who teach us, and some of them are experts at what they do. I myself had some wonderful Christian teachers, and I had some unsaved teachers, and I had all kinds of mixtures of things, teaching in different varieties of philosophies. But I was there to learn music and to use the music for God. In my case, I learned to go as far as I could in classical music, and then I combined classical arranging with hymns. I found this a good outreach for the Lord, especially overseas, but God may be leading him to do something else. I know another young man who himself went to Curtis Institute, number three in the world, and he was going to Eastman, couldn't afford it, but he went to Juilliard, number one in the world, and he studied both places, a great pianist and violinist, leads music for a large church in Chicago. And so some people feel led to serve in ministry, or maybe they're gonna be a classical pianist or an opera or whatever it might be. Whatever God leads you to do is God's plan for your life. But do as much as you can, go as far as possible so you're equipped to serve God at your highest
0: potential. The complete two-day conversation on Heaven's Orchestra with Dr. Lonnie Shipman is available on CD when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Dr. Shipman has written a fascinating book entitled Heaven's Orchestra, The Stars Sing Praise to God. Hearing sounds from outer space, scientists have discovered that stars can sing. When God created the earth and universe, he tells us in Job 38:7, the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy. So what does God teach us about music? In the pages of Heaven's Orchestra, you'll learn about music in Bible history, church history, in the ancient past, and music in the heavens. Heaven's Orchestra is an excellent resource. Order your copy of Heaven's Orchestra by Dr. Lonnie Shipman when you call 1-800-652-1144. Is the Antichrist the focus of end-time studies? Staff evangelist Josh Davis looks at what the true focus of Bible prophecy should be in today's Moment of Prophecy. Our study of Bible prophecy must be
3: centered on Jesus Christ. If we emphasize the Antichrist more than we do Jesus Christ, dear friend, we have missed the point of Bible prophecy. Jesus is the hero and the focus of Bible prophecy. We cannot let ourselves drift away from him. The very first words of the book of Revelation say the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not primarily the revelation of future events, nor is this book primarily the revelation of the Antichrist and his cohorts. Ultimately, it is the revelation of Jesus in the book of Revelation, every promise of God is finally fulfilled for eternity through the person and the ministry of Jesus Christ. He is the hero. Revelation 1.8, in that verse, Jesus reveals, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. Alpha is the first letter. Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet, the New Testament's original language. In other words, Jesus is the beginning and the ending of all prophecy. Jesus is eternal God who rules forever as the conquering king. His everlasting kingdom is coming in its fullness and will never, ever end. Jesus is the focus. Jesus is the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. If you look back at the very first Bible prophecy found in Scripture, Genesis 3.15, we see that God promised the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. In Revelation, we see this promise fulfilled once and for all by the Alpha and the Omega, Jesus Christ himself, the conquering king. Revelation 2.10 tells us, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night, forever and ever. God promises to judge sin and to quarantine it forever in the lake of fire. Romans 6.23 tells us in part, The wages, the payment of sin is death. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7-9 makes it clear, And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. In Revelation, we see this promise fulfilled once and for all by the Alpha and Omega. Revelation 20, verse 15 states, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Friend, I do not convey these truths vengefully or with any kind of sick and ungodly sense of glee. God knows my heart. But rather, I'm trying to communicate these things to you soberly As a warning to you who have not believed in Jesus as your Savior, there is a way of escape from this coming judgment. And that way is only through the Alpha, the Omega, Jesus Christ. Yes, as I said a moment ago, the wages of sin is death. But I did not quote the second part of that wonderful verse, which says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Consider the blessed hope that awaits those in God's eternal kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ as it is described for us in the beautiful verses of Revelation 21, 1 through 6. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death. "...neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. He said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done." I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. The Alpha and Omega of Bible prophecy invites you to join his everlasting victory through faith. Will you trust him today? If you have a question about how to do that, please contact us today by calling us at one 800 652-1144 or by visiting our website at swrc.com.
0: Do not delay, dear friend. Your eternity depends on it. Friends, remember to pick up a copy of today's featured resource, the book Heaven's Orchestra by Dr. Lonnie Shipman. Order your copy today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Tomorrow, we continue our series on why we should explore Bible prophecy with Steve Butler. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station or by subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Please visit swrc.com.